Well, good morning. Good morning, West Art Church of Christ. My name is Cade Richards, and I'm the campus minister here at the Lions for Christ. And we are really, really glad that you're here. If you're a visitor, we're really, really, really glad that you're here. And I want to give you guys kind of a bonus story this morning and tell you a little bit about my morning. So I woke up early this morning, and I did what probably a lot of you do. I let my dogs out. I have two beagles that I love, and they're out there doing beagle stuff. And, you know, I'm, I got my notes, and I'm getting ready for this morning, kind of looking over my notes and stuff. And they're out there, like I said, doing beagle stuff. So they come flying in, the smallest one, and he's got mud all over his paws. And, like, I see him midair just, like, lock eyes with me. And so he hits right in the middle of my notes, and I'm not lying. You can see right there. And I said what every 90s villain says, like, I looked him square in the eye and I said, get your filthy paws off me. (laughs) And so that's how my morning started. I don't know how your morning started, but we're really glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to move into a portion that I know this is why you all came. I'm going to talk about my illustrious high school sports career. And so I'm sure that's why you all gathered this morning. And so I played golf and baseball in high school. And so... Uh, if I can kind of tell the story how I want to, I guess no one's stopping me. So um, I was kind of poised to win regionals in golf my senior year. And then also I was probably going to be a contender for state. And so regionals was in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And it was a big tournament. All the schools were there. I was really pumped up about it. Thought I was going to win it. And, you know, Channel 5 News came out. They're, like the whole town came out to watch me play. I'm just kidding. It was like my dad walking around in his Crocs, you know, like watching me play. So I'm in this tournament, and I start, I think, on number six. However it worked out, I was four under through the first four holes. I was playing the round of my life, like my eyes were rolling back in my head. I was blacked out. You know, I was playing really, really good, and I just had that moment where I was like, I'm going to win it, you know? Like you, you have those days where you're feeling really, really good. And so I ended up taking, I started thinking about the score, thinking about how I was going to win. Ended up rope hooking one out of bounds, like towards the end of my round. Took an eight on the hole, got to my head, ended up shooting a 75, which if you play golf is not bad, but I ended up, I got beat by like three strokes. The kid that won uh, shot even par, and I should have shot at least one or two under, but I didn't. So yeah, you guys can sit, like, sit up here and watch me self-deprecate, and it's going to get more and more awkward, like, come on, man, I should have done it. So I lost the tournament, and I just want to say this, like, that was a good round. There were good things that came out of that round. Like, my dad was there with me. I got to play. Like, I ended up making it to state, but I didn't win. Does that make sense? Like, it was a good round. Like, if I told you, like, when I was in high school, I was an okay golfer, I shot 75, like, like that was a pretty average score. You'd be like, oh, that's, that's good. But if we look at the game of golf, I didn't win. And so, to kind of pour this on a little bit more, both years in high school, I was in senior high, like, uh, my junior year and my senior year, my baseball team was good. We weren't great but we made it to the semifinals of the state tournament both years, and we lost. Man, if you ask us, like, did we have a good season? Yeah, we had a good season. But in the game, like, 
for what we wanted to accomplish, we did not win. We went two years and got pretty close to winning a state championship, but we didn't win. And so what I want to say to y'all is we have to define what a win is. We as a church have to define what a win is. And this isn't like an Uncle Rico sermon from Napoleon Dynamite where I'm like, man, if I could go back, I'd take state. And you guys just got to sit here and listen to me talk about my high school experience of, of playing sports. But in sports, a win is easily defined. If I score more points, if I shoot a lower round, I win. But what is it for us? What is a win for us, Westhawk? That's what I want to ask this morning. What is a win for this church? What is a win for you as a follower of Jesus? That is such an important question to ask. And so I, I don't know what you're thinking right now. I have no idea what's kind of running through your mind. But I wrote down some that kind of popped into my mind. Like, is a win for us a full building? Is a win for us like completing the building project and making this place look better and more functional? Is a win getting more like people to follow Christ? Is a win to add more staff? Is a win for our children not to walk away from their faith when they go to college? What is a win for us? And so I want to make the argument that we've focused on a lot of good things. We've had some good successes. But we have to define what ultimately is a win for this congregation. What is a win for us as followers of Jesus? So I'm going to get a little bit dark here. Now, I know that some of you guys um, have heard all the statistics about the American church being in decline. I know that maybe that's new for some of you, but for probably most of you, that's not a new thing to hear. That the American church is in decline. And I'm not going to sit up here and give you like 50 stats on how we should all like go home and be like, oh, we're doing terrible. But I do want to give you one. So right now, if we continue to go at the rate that we're going, the American like church, by the year 2030, only 11% of Americans will go to church. So that's what, I'm not a, ma- a mathematician, um, what was that, 12 years? So in 12 years, only 11% of our country will go to church. That's pretty astounding. That's a pretty shocking statistic. And so this is so heavy on my heart. Like, I really want you guys to hear me this morning, and, and I'm going to say some stuff later that hopefully will really drive this home. Like, what is a win for us? Because I believe that we as the church have missed the mark, just really honestly. That's not easy for me to sit up here and to say that, but I believe that we've missed the mark. And we've taken a lot of good things and considered them to be a win, and we haven't looked at our our mission to define us as a win, to define the win for us. And so, um, I have one goal today. I'm going to be very, very frank, very, very clear this morning. I have one goal. I want to inspire you and convict you into action. Just throw it out there early on. I'm not going to have like a big reveal at the end. I want you to begin discipling someone this week. And I know that you're like, oh yeah, like that sounds pretty good. But if I can do that, 
then I'll have done what I believe God has asked me to do this morning. I want you, every single one of you, to begin to disciple someone this week. And that sounds really simple, so let me, let me add on to that. So I know that we have all these problems in church. We feel like church is declining and all this stuff. And I want to argue, we don't have a leadership problem. We don't have an attendance problem. We have a discipleship problem. Like, that is going to be the fix-all, the cure-all, is for followers of Jesus to make followers of Jesus. And so, I want to read Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You probably heard it a ton of times. If not, this is a fantastic piece of Scripture. And this is right before Jesus leaves his disciples, ascends into heaven. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that is our mission. That is our win. Like, when we think about what do we exist for, it is to make disciples. That's why we were gathered here this morning, and we are supposed to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples. That is a win for us. So how are we doing? I know I'm not going to quote like a, a ton of statistics here, but here's one more. The average follower of Christ, the average Christian, maybe I should say that, will not lead a single person to Christ in their lifetime. I know that's really heavy. So the average person that goes to church regularly will not lead one person in their entire lifetime to Christ. So of those, maybe you have led someone to Christ, introduced them to the person of Jesus, but have you taken that person to where once they decided to follow Jesus, they then could disciple someone themselves? Because that is the mission that Christ gives to his disciples. He said, hey, I've discipled you, I've completed that work, that's what he says at the Last Supper, and he says, now I want you, my disciples, to go make disciples. That's the charge that he gives us. And so, if you've led someone to Christ, I would encourage you to continue to disciple them. Um, Can we, well, hold on just a second. I want to say this, like, the power and kind of the, the math even, if you want to use that side of your brain, behind Christ's model of reaching the world is, is completely, it's limitless, because if you look at Jesus, and we put a lot of emphasis on kind of the theological meaning behind, you know, him coming and he died and was resurrected, as well we should. But he also was a man that lived on earth for three years, and he did some stuff during those three years. And what did he do? He never blogged, he never wrote a book, he never traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown, and we're still talking about him today. So what did he do? He took 12 dudes, and he said, come with me. 
I want you to watch me, and I want you to walk with me for three years. And that's what he did. He called these guys to be around him day and night for three years. And we're still talking to him, about him today. I guess we are talking to him too. <laughs> so he took 12. He really focused on three. He finished with only 11. And here we are. And so I want to show you guys, uh, you can throw the slide up there. What would happen if we were to be convicted by this message? If we looked at this and, and we just kind of did some math, what is the potential that we could have as disciples who make disciples who make disciples? So here you have it up here. If one disciple, if one person in here decides, I'm going to make three disciples every five years, I think that's pretty realistic. Three disciples every five years. If those disciples do the same in five years, oh, every five years, in 10 years, there will be almost 180,000 disciple makers. That's pretty huge. If they continue in 70 years, which is less than the average lifespan, there are potentially 14 billion disciple makers at that point. At that point. And that's twice the number of people on the planet. So what I want to say to you this morning is, if we're worried about the state of the church, if we're worried about this decline, then if we begin to make disciples, if we disciple someone, it is not addition. It is multiplication. The mission of Jesus, the format of Jesus is exponential. It's times two, times three, times four. When you invest in one person and then they invest in one person and then three people, five people, this is the kind of results that we're going to see. And so I'm swinging for the fences here today. What I want more than anything, and I want y'all to hear my heart here, is I don't want you to, to say, well, like, I, I like Cade's other sermons. I don't know about that one today. I really don't, like, more than coming up to me afterwards and saying, like, hey, we love you, man, like, that was a great sermon, or, or sitting across from each other at La Huerta, like, that was an interesting sermon this morning. Like, what I want more than anything is for you to do some very simple things. So what do I want from you? What, what I believe God wants from you? And I believe this with all of my heart, that this could, this could change the course of this church, it could change the course of humanity, and it already has. If we took this seriously, I pray that to, like today that you will begin to pray about one person to disciple. And if you don't like that word, I know there's some baggage with that in our heritage, one person to mentor. I want you to pray about that person. And here's where we're going to make a jump. A lot of times in churches we become a book club. We come together, we study the word, I'm like, oh, that sounds really great. And it doesn't change our lives. I pray that after you pray for one person, God reveals that person to you. And then this week, I pray that you set up a, a coffee, you invite them over to your house for lunch, you go out to lunch with them, you actually sit down with that person and you say this, or some version of this, hey, I, I really want to grow closer to you as we both grow closer to Christ. I want to begin meeting with you regularly, every week. And if you don't know what to talk about with that person, please just hear two things here. You can say, one, 
How's your relationship with God right now? Number two, what do you need to talk about this week? I pray more than anything that if just one of you takes this to heart, it's going to be exponential. And so, I want to kind of wrap up in a a strange way here this morning. So um, I'm jumping text, which is like a big no-no in my own book and how I like to, to speak and teach, but if we look at Jesus and we look at the story of him calming the storm, I don't know what you believe, but I, I do not believe at all that Jesus or God created this storm just so Jesus could call, calm it. Does that make sense? I don't believe that at all. I think Jesus was in a boat, he was going, he was making disciples, he was preaching, he was doing his Jesus thing, and he had his guys with him. And this storm rose up, and all the disciples are freaking out, and Jesus lived with intention. He said, this is a fantastic opportunity, as these guys are with me, to say, our God's more powerful than this. And if you have faith, he can calm storms. And so that's what happened. And so this is a strange way to to wrap up, but I want to say this, and it's going to sound like, ooh, what's he talking about here? We live in the information generation. So what do I mean by that, and why the heck does it have any relevance to what we're talking about this morning? Because, like, if we are going to reach the world, if we are going to reach the next generation, it will not be through information. It's not going to be through information, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense, and just hang on with me here. So, let me put it to you this way. If there are any millennial moms, and I'm going to be very specific, millennials are like 18 to 35-year-olds, so it's not necessarily the youth group, that's Gen Z for the most part. If there are any millennial moms in here, if you wake up at 3 a.m. and your baby has a high fever, what are you going to do? You don't have to say it. Are you going to call your mom? Are you going to call your grandmother, your aunt? Or are, is the first thing you're going to do, are you going to Google it? What's wrong with my baby? You might call your mom. I'm not saying you're, you won't, but maybe before that even, you might Google it. Millennials, if you're going to change a tire, are you going to call Uncle Ned, like, tell you how to change a tire, or are you just going to get on your phone and YouTube how to change a tire? If I'm going to make a new recipe myself, I'm right in the middle of the millennials, like, I'm going to Pinterest. Actually, I'm going to go on Rachel's Pinterest so no one knows I'm on Pinterest. (laughs) So, like, does that make sense, though? So I have options now. Like, in the past, I didn't have any option but to call my mom, hey, my baby's sick, like, and I have no idea what to do. Should I go to the hospital? Should I just give him, like, an aspirin? I don't know. Now there are options And so we are not going to reach the next generation through information. And this is why I want to call kind of us out as a church. We have placed so much emphasis on getting information to people that we're trying to to make into followers of Jesus. People like me and Chris and Dina and Sarah and Alyssa and Rick, like, we are just supposed to get them the right information on Sundays, get them the right information on Wednesdays, and that's going to be it. Well, I got news, like, 
If, if people want to know about Christianity, there's fantastic documentaries that they have at their fingertips on their phone. They have podcasts from speakers much better than myself. I'm not going to say Chris because he's not here, but, you know, like, they have podcasts. They have the Bible app, which is an incredible tool, all at their fingertips. And I don't have to get up. I don't have to get my kids ready. I don't have to put pants on. I can sit on my couch and listen to these people who are incredible. It's not going to be through information that we reach the next generation. So how are we going to reach the next generation? I completely believe that it's going to be through relationships just like Jesus did. One-on-one relationships, two-on-one relationships, three-on-one relationships. And here's where it gets really, really cool. I don't know what you think about millennials, but I want to say this. Like, There's a lot of talk about them in churches. I would encourage you to talk to a millennial, not about a millennial. And so it's kind of crazy. Maybe some people in here, millennials, feel this. It's like <laughs> we hear all these statistics, and like the older people are talking about them. I'm like, hey, I'm right here. You know, like <laughs> you could just ask me. Like, I'm in the same room with you. Like, I would encourage you to develop a relationship with someone. Because this, millennials, they are the most connected generation, but they're also the most lonely. So this is true in my life. I have a ton of friends on Instagram and Facebook, but like when I'm trying to figure out who's going to pick me up from the airport, I'm like, ooh, I don't know who is going to pick me up from the airport. You know what I'm saying? Like who's really my friend? Another thing is we are so skeptical of leaders. Why? Because we've seen leaders in all areas and walks fall. Politicians, religious leaders, whatever. All corrupt, fall. We've seen them over and over and over again. But on the flip side of that is that we crave mentors. Why do we crave mentors? Because we have limitless information, but we have no idea, like, the context we are supposed to use that information. So we need spiritual parents to put information in the context of life. Does that make sense? And you don't have to be cool. Like, (laughs) you don't have to have a faux hawk for us to talk to you. We want people to take us seriously. Invite us into your home. And please, just take off the religious mask and have a real conversation with us. So my life was completely changed by a guy discipling me really intensely for about two years. His name was Neil. And I've used this before, but like some of the best sermons and the best life lessons I ever heard were not from a pulpit. They were driving on a road trip with him that he just invited me along with. It was going to run a random errand in town for the ministry. Because he took me with him as he was going. If you want to use the analogy of Jesus... I was in the boat with him, or maybe he got in the boat with me, and no question or no topic was off limits. I could ask him about anything, and I did. That's discipleship. So what I want to tell you this morning is when the storms, like when they well up in the people's lives that you're mentoring, you're discipling, you have the honor and the privilege to be in the boat with them if you do it. You have the honor and the privilege to say, I've been in this boat before, and this is how Christ brought me through it, 
or I've been in this boat and I'm still in this boat and I'm not sure how Christ is going to bring us through it, but I think he will. We need people who take discipleship seriously in our church because that is the mission of God. That is the charge that Christ gave his disciples uh, right before he ascended and that's the charge he gave us here on June 3rd at West Art Church of Christ. I love you guys very, very much. Um, that's all I have to say, but I pray so much um, that, that one of you, and, and God willing, all of us take this seriously. Um, if you need anything this morning, if you need prayers, um, if you need encouragement, you can come down in front. There'll be some elders. Um, I want to put a plug in for Ted Knight and John Priester's class that they're doing. They're doing a class on discipleship on Sunday mornings. It is incredible, kind of the nuts and bolts of discipleship. I would encourage you to go to that. It's really, really good. It's kind of boots in the mud type stuff. Um, I love you guys. That's all I had to say this morning. Um, Be blessed.